Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for worshiping along with us this morning. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John, and that is where we'll be spending the majority of our time for the next several weeks as I'm beginning a new sermon series this morning. I can tell you guys are just so excited about that, aren't you? Uh, Amen. Okay, good. All right. That makes me feel a little better, but our new sermon series is called True Salvation, and it is a study of 1 John. And I know that for the vast majority of us here today, there are probably no real discrepancies in the salvation process. In other words, I'm thinking that we pretty much all know what it takes to be saved, right? Uh, we, we all believe the Word of God is true when it tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I hope that today we could all agree on the fact that we understand and realize the truth in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, where it tells us that salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way to heaven. And that way is Jesus Christ. Amen? We can agree on that, right? Good, good, good. However, I am not going to try to fool myself this morning because I know that not everyone in this room today has actually made a decision to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior. And if that is you today that I'm speaking about, my prayer is that you would see it fit to do that today or maybe sometime throughout this series. But then for those of us who already have, I'm speaking to the rest of us, my question to us is this. How do we know that we are saved? How do we know that we are saved? And this is the question that will come up repeatedly over these next few weeks. Have you ever thought about that question? I hope that you have. Chances are that if you really are a Christian, you have at least spent some time wrestling with this question of whether or not you are saved. Why? Because it should be something that's important to you. It's something that you really want to know for sure in the inner depths of your soul. But the problem is is that sometimes Satan likes to instill doubt in our minds. And we can easily get discouraged any time that we cause a mistake in our life or we mess up. We feel as if we have never really been saved. And so my goal for this series is to spend some time with you in a doctrinal type series. I don't necessarily usually preach doctrine very straight, but this is a doctrinal series. And it's over the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And in doing so, we find that our salvation rests on four unshakable pillars. Four things that we can turn to and be reminded that our salvation is real. That our salvation is intact. That it is true. And the first of these four pillars is this. That number one, God doesn't lie. Did you know that? God doesn't lie. God is perfect. He has never sinned, meaning that He has never lied. As I was writing this sermon this week, I thought, man, wouldn't it be nice if we could say the same thing about ourselves? That ship has sailed long ago. Hmm? And now the only perfection that we can ever experience in this life is when we cling on to God's Word because it is true. And if we truly do believe that this is the Word of God, if we believe that this book right here is God-breathed, that it is His words, then we must attach to it absolute trustworthiness. 
And if we do, we can know and we can believe in our hearts that all of the truths that are found in this book will come to pass. In fact, not even one of these words will fade away. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, and let me quote it to you today out of the good old King James Version. Because this is the way that I learned this verse, okay? It's ingrained in my mind. He says there, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, that's a cool word, shall in no wise pass from the law till all are fulfilled. Amen? Throughout the New Testament, we read of the promises that God gives to those who believe in His Son. Romans 10, again, this time in verse 13, tells us, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said it Himself in John chapter 6, verse 37, The one who comes to Me, I will certainly not cast out. And so for those of us who are Christians... One way that we can know that we really are saved is by simply remembering that God doesn't lie. And as long as we really did invite Jesus into our heart, and as long as we have given Him complete and total control over every single area in our life, we are saved. And our assurance can also continue on in the fact that, number two, Jesus died and rose again. Number one, God doesn't lie. Number two, Jesus died and rose again. And if God really doesn't lie, and if His Word tells us that Jesus died and rose again from the grave, then we can also believe that He really did. And that's great news for us today. Not only does it mean that we can keep singing the songs that we've been singing, because they are true, but also because without Christ coming to this earth, and without Christ dying on the cross, listen to me, church, things would be so much different For us today. Things would be completely different. When Jesus went to the cross. He bore our iniquities. He endured God's wrath that was meant for us. And at the very end of it all. He cried out three words. It is finished. And by this sorrowful yet wonderful cry. Jesus signified the full atonement for our sins. Which are many. All sins, past, present, and future, had been made. His work of redemption was now completed, and our entire sin debt was paid in full. Do you believe that with me this morning? Amen. Amen. And just as salvation comes from believing in what Jesus came and did for us, so does assurance. It is one and the same. No matter how great your sin, Jesus came and died for it. And God's grace is greater still. We read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God says there, Come now, let us reason together. Isn't that cool? God says, hey, come speak to me. He says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson. Oh, you colors, right, Brother Grover? They will be like wool. Hmm? Outside of your decision to follow Christ, listen to me very closely. Outside of your decision to follow Christ, your salvation is not due to you. Why? Because there is absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There is nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to put ourselves in right standing with God. The only way is to cling on to what Jesus did. He paid the ultimate price so that we don't have to. And that's good because we can't. 
He came and paved the way that we need to follow. With that thought in mind, here's what I want us to see this morning. That the first two pillars, the first two pillars of the assurance of our salvation really have nothing to do with us. But they have to do with the fact that God doesn't lie. And Jesus came and died and rose again. You see, God the Father and Jesus the Son have set everything in place for us to receive salvation and then to be assured of that salvation. But church, things change when it comes to pillar number three. And this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time this morning. And that is that number three, the Holy Spirit resides in you. This is where we really enter into the picture. And I know that we Baptists can get a little fidgety whenever the subject of the Holy Spirit comes up. Uh, There seems to be a wide variety of sensitivity levels across the different denominations of Christianity. You have some churches who are hypersensitive to the Spirit, to where they begin to act out in ways that they say are caused by the Spirit, but in actuality are fake. You also have some churches on the opposite side that are scared of the Spirit. And I mean scared of it. They try to tone things down so much in hopes of never experiencing something that they can't explain on their own. I hope that, and I believe that we are definitely somewhere in the middle of those two options. But even amongst our church family and those who are gathered here today, there are probably many different thoughts and many different experiences that come to mind when speaking about the role of the Holy Spirit. And by that I mean that some of us are probably more in tune to the Spirit than others. Some of us are are, are seeking the Spirit's direction daily uh, to help us get through whatever circumstances we may face. And then others of us may believe that the Holy Spirit is real, real. We know that He is a part of the Trinity. But really we haven't had very many interactions with Him. And so we don't necessarily know the full amount of the role of the Holy Spirit. And so in an effort to get us on the right track for this sermon series, because this is critical from the very beginning, allow me this morning to spend some time sharing with you what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And not only what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, but what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit in regards to its role in the assurance of our salvation. And that's where the book of 1 John comes into play. So if you're there with me, we're going to begin at the very end of chapter 3, going into chapter 4. It's kind of an odd transition there, so I'm going to read the last half of the last verse in chapter 3. So 24b, and then go into chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me in your Bibles, or on the screen, or just listen to the Word. John writes, And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit Whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have come and gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3 And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Wow, what a deep passage of Scripture. Hmm? Behind this warning from John is a situation that we in the modern church know little to nothing about. And you can take this as you wish this morning, but the truth is, and I really believe that this is the truth, 
that the Holy Spirit played a lot more prevalent of a role then than we allow Him to play today. Follow me here. In the early church, the Holy Spirit was the main guide to every single worship service they had. Every single witnessing conversation that a follower of Christ had with a potential new convert. You see, the Holy Spirit was completely in charge. He was number one. And when the Holy Spirit fell, things got exciting. And this wasn't some show that they were putting on, but it was far from fake. When the Holy Spirit showed up, they were as close to heaven then as they could be while still here on earth. And they knew for a fact that the Holy Spirit was the greatest tool for the early church to prove to others that what they were teaching and the things that they were preaching was not just some crazy babblings, but that it was all 100% true. That what they were saying was literally the words of God being spoken out from their mouth as if they were the mouthpiece of God. And the proof was in the pudding, as they say. And John is saying here, people could know full and well that Jesus was in the hearts of His disciples whenever those disciples had the Spirit working in, out, and through them. They knew that they were saved. They knew that Jesus lived with their hearts because the Holy Spirit was consistently making it aware to them. And with all this being said, I am fully aware this morning that the spiritual realm that is constantly surrounding us, we are not in tune with that as much as the people of the early church would have been. But nevertheless, the truth of what John is saying here is equally valid. I often think about if only God would just peel back the curtain for just a moment. I mean, just a moment. For us to really see what is going on around us. To see the spiritual realm. To see the, the, the places that our human eyes cannot see. I believe we would be blown away. And you may not think about that. I think about that sometimes. And At this very moment, I know that there is spiritual warfare being waged around all of us. And just as much as we believe that there are angels, and there are, we must also know the truth that there are demons as well. And that these two sides are constantly battling one another. And because both sides of the spiritual spectrum are present, John cautions us by saying that we are to test the spirits. Test the spirits. Yes, the Holy Spirit is real. He really is the third member of the Holy Trinity. But in addition to the Holy Spirit, there are also bad spirits who equally want to have the helm of your heart. Who want to guide and control the different things that you are doing. Which is why we must test all spirits to see whether they are not from God. And by this, John isn't just speaking of ghostly figures that we cannot see. He is speaking of that, the different spirits. But in particular, he is saying that we are to make sure that the people that we are listening to are not being led by any spirit aside from the Holy Spirit. And here's what he means by that. We are to test the spirits. And he goes on to tell us what this test is that we are to perform. He says that we need to decide whether or not that spirit or that person being led by that specific spirit confesses that Jesus is of God. 
You see, a spirit that confesses that Jesus is from God is a spirit that is of God. And a spirit or person that denies Jesus is one that is not of God. John says that it is one of the Antichrist. And to better illustrate to you uh, the purpose of what I'm trying to say, let me just say that we are all pretending that we are deathly ill, okay? Imagine that with me. You are sicker than a dog, sicker than you have ever been, and you desperately need a doctor right now. And so you rush to the hospital, you run inside the building, and lo and behold, here comes a young man walking down the hall towards you. He is wearing a white coat. There is a stethoscope hanging out of his left pocket. He is holding a clipboard in his hand. You run up to him and you begin to explain all of your symptoms that you're having. This man stays calm. He says, you don't need to worry. Just go home and go back to your normal routine and guess what? Everything will be fine. Everything will work itself out. What if I told you this morning that in this illustration, the man in the white coat was no doctor, but just a man off the street who came in and decided he wanted to be a doctor for the day. He came in, he dressed the part. He was there in the right building. He made sure to scrunch up his face as if he was in a constant state of thought, as doctors tend to do. Every single indicator showed that this man was legit. But... It was when he began to speak, his prognosis and his prescription, that the truth was made known. This man is no doctor. He is a phony. And this is just what it's like whenever a person with a spirit other than the Holy Spirit guiding their life tries to speak words into your life. Words that may sound good. Words that may sound easy. Words that may just tickle the ears. But at the inner core are words that are completely false. And this is how Satan does it. Listen to me very carefully carefully this morning. He advertises things in such a way that they appear to be really good. But ultimately, they are extremely destructive. And to make it as clear as possible this morning, let me say that Satan isn't as dumb as some professing Christians make him out to be. He is not going to trick us by being nothing like what we think is true. But he is going to make things seem as if they are in line with our doctrine. But he will switch things ever so slightly to where they begin to seem right at first, but then we can tell that they are really wrong. Can I get even clearer this morning? Just because someone is holding a Bible in their hand, or standing inside of a church house, or wearing a cross around their neck, doesn't mean that what they are saying is biblical. Therefore, we are to test the Spirit's. We are to make sure that things are sound, that things are right, that things are concrete instead of just living our lives always nodding our heads up and down and just soaking it all in, letting it take its toll whenever it does. Deep stuff, right? Pastor, why are you preaching this to us today? 
Why in the world is it important for us to know these things? Why? Because John says here that these spirits and these false prophets are already in the world. And church, if they were already in the world during his day, you can count on the fact that they are still present during our day. In fact, the truth be known, they are all around us. And to the people in the sound of my voice right now who at some point have asked Jesus to come and forgive you of your sins. For those of you who have started living the new life. Listen to me, Satan wants nothing more than to trick you and bring you back to your old self. More specifically, back away from God. And what better way to trick you than to get you to think that you are being indwelled with the Holy Spirit while unbeknownst to you, you follow a different spirit that is not of God. You think you're doing right, but you're not. Test the spirits. I heard the story of a young boy who went out to fly a kite. It was a pretty windy day. must have been somewhere here in Oklahoma, I'm not sure. But the kite began to go higher and higher and higher until finally the kite was so high that it was completely out of sight. And a man walks past the boy and he sees the boy standing there with a string in his hand. And he asks the boy, he says, well, how do you know it's still up there? The boy replied, because I can feel it. I can feel it tugging on the string. And the lesson that normally accompanies this story is that although we cannot see the Holy Spirit, we should still be able to sense His work in our lives. That we should be able to feel Him making us more like Christ. That story's cute and all, I think, anyways. I believe it can be a helpful reminder to us if we see it in that light. But this story can also be a dangerous illustration if we allow it to reinforce the idea that you can only know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you